sure that's enough? Hold on. <coughs> Mom down here? Well, y'all would be good. All right. All right. Oh, I see. Y'all don't know if there's a timer running back there. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> Uh, he probably wants to, yeah, an alarm. Yeah, he probably wants me to stand right here so I can see it. <laughs> there was a preacher one time who the, the congregation decided that they wanted to uh, design the building to fit a particular purpose they were building. And the preacher said, "What's that?" And they said, "Well, we're going to have a stage that has a trap door in it, and you preach long enough, it's an open." <laughs> He said, well, if you do that, I want my design, too. And he said, what's that? He said, no pews in the building. Somebody walks in, it pops up in the back, and when you sit down, it runs all the way to the front. That way, all the people are here. So. All right. The text before 2 Peter chapter 1 is a great text. I have heard it presented in a number of different ways. Think about it, for instance, the text, this way. I've heard it preached as though it's saying that as a Christian, you walk through the grocery store and you say, hmm, I think I'll take a little bit of faith. I think I'll have a little bit of love. I think I'll have some brotherly kindness. And they just sort of pick and choose, not that they're avoiding any of them, but I won't this much love, I'm going to have about this much brotherly kindness, as though it's a grocery store. I've also heard it preached as though it is some kind of a checklist. Like the one I get when I go to the grocery store for my wife. And I have to write it down so I don't forget anything. So I walk in, I get the first one, check. Second one, check. Do it until you're finished. Check. I got them all. Now, I'm not going to do much with them, but I got them. This text, I got them all. Don't know what I'm going to do with them. I've heard it preached as though it were a chain with different links. And each link, the tier, is there. And you've heard the phrase, a chain is no stronger than what? It's the weakest link. And so somebody says, well, here is the chain, but this part of my life is not strong at all. My perseverance is not very good, so I'm just really weak, and God doesn't appreciate me. Others have taught it as though we're in a math class with a math problem. And he hands it to you and says, okay, add them up. Well, if I add them up and I go faith and virtue and perseverance and knowledge and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness, and love, I add them all up. And when I get to the end, I'm a Christian. Just add them up, boom, Christian. Well, I don't think either any of those four things really teaches what this text teaches. So I want to give you my own view. I want to use the text 
to produce the illustration that I hope you will remember. Okay. Jesus taught so many powerful lessons using illustrations. Parables. Probably a hint as to how human beings are. So walk with me through this text. 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 5. We will let the text talk to us. And then I'm going to tell you this. We're going to end at the beginning. Just so you know. So watch. For this very reason. What reason? Well, because God's given us everything we need. There it is. Verses 2 through 4. We have everything we need. God's given us all that we need. For this reason. Giving all diligence. That probably doesn't speak as well. The original language says, bringing from beside yourself, the word literally means what you have is right here next to you. It's right here, and I want you to bring it along beside you. <clears throat> Verse 3, he's given us everything we need. It's right there. Now, Giving all diligence, now the word diligence, you may not know, actually comes from the Greek word from which we get our word speed. So what he's actually saying is, right there next to you is something you need to bring right alongside you quick. Don't wait. Don't delay. Do it now. Add to your faith. When you say add to, it does sound like the grocery store, doesn't it? I got my car. I'm adding to it. It sounds like a checklist. I have two or three more things to put on the list. It does sound like a chain. You could add a few more links to make it longer. And it does sound like a math problem. I want to add a few more numbers in here. But what we fail to realize is that's not what the text is teaching. He's not saying add to. It literally reads in the original language. In your faith, put. So I have a different image for you. To help you understand what this text is teaching, I'm going to present this text of faith. You, can't, you won't be able to see all the writings on here, but trust me, they're all here. I'm going to present what Paul, what Peter's really saying, as a nesting doll. You know what a nesting doll is, right? Hmm. So, in your faith. In faith. So, 
What do you say? Faith is where it begins. Faith is where we start. You can't go anywhere without faith. God's given us everything we need, and Peter says, in now your faith. What faith? The faith, the trust that you have in what God has already given. I'm not looking for anything else. He's saying to them, don't be looking for somebody else to give you something. You have everything you need. It's right here. Now, in your faith, in that. Faith is assurance. Faith is seeing the unseen. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever comes to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Christian life begins in faith. Faith is how we start. Faith is how we believe. <coughs> and Peter says, in your faith, I want you to put virtue. Now see, he's not stringing them out on a chain. He's not writing them on a list that you check off. He is saying, inside this faith that you say you have, you put virtue. Now virtue is moral excellence. Virtue says, I am living this way because I believe that. Because I believe that God has given me everything that I need. Everything necessary to be right with Him, God has given me. Therefore, that's my faith. Now, here's how I'm going to live. With moral excellence. I think, for me, the greatest material to talk to somebody who doesn't believe in God is the subject of morality. The moral argument it is called. No matter where you go, no matter how bad things are, there's something good everywhere. For instance, a thief. If you steal from him, is he going to be upset? He'll steal from you, but you don't steal from him. Why? Down deep. He knows it's wrong to steal. That's right. There is morality that only can be accounted for in God's creation. Evolution cannot create morality. I love watching animal planet and learn about all the animals around the world. But I'll tell you what, that's cruel lifestyle. I mean, when a new lion comes to the pride and runs the old lion out, immediately he goes and kills all the newborn lions. Why? Because now it's time to start his pride. 
say, well, we don't need to do that. If it could, but it can't. Morality only comes from God. I live based on what I believe in. Number two. To virtue, add or into virtue, you put knowledge. Now, there are different kinds of knowledge. There's book learning. There is the knowledge that says, I have learned something through my experience. That's what this is. Here's what Peter says. In this faith, you live the morality connected to that faith, and you're going to learn something. You're going to know something by experience. You are going to say, now I know. And until you live it, you just can't know it. Did you know what it was going to be like before you got married? You might have written it down and saw somebody tell you about it, but when did you know it? When you're in it. Did you know what it was like to raise children? Not till you do it. The point is, you get the knowledge when you have the experience. And Peter said, in that virtue, in that morality that you are living, be sure to retain the knowledge that comes from it. Be sure to take those experiences and put them in your life to stay there. Don't just live. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open. Learn something. In your knowledge. In your knowledge. Put self-control. When you know something, you better control it properly. You don't want to be arrogant. You don't want to be conceited. And you don't want to have a life that is not consistent with what you know. Now, children know because they were told. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. What do they do? They touch the stone. Now they know. And so the next time mom turns on the stove, they go, I don't think I will. Because they want self-control. In that knowledge, when you pay attention and you're learning something, now it gets inside of you. And that knowledge has the opportunity to control you. The more you know, the more controlled you can be. And so while you're learning this stuff, be sure that it gets in there and starts to make a difference in your life. Let it control you. Let it help you make decisions. Let it help you live. In, then, your self-control. Put perseverance or 
patience. There's a kid, senior high school, who will be giving the Wednesday night devotion at Richmond while I'm here. And he came by and talked about it today, and this is the topic he wanted to address. And we talked about the idea that when you persevere, you learn patience. Now, you may not learn it at the front end. You may get upset. You may be a little bit out of control. But over time, you can learn to be patient because you just keep trying. This young man right here told me before we started, that between him and the Lord, he's been beating alcoholism for 14 years. How do you do it? Today. And then tomorrow you do it today. And you just keep it up. Patience says, I'm not going to stop. When I was a kid, the church said, we want your dad. Dad was Gene Johnson wants you to serve as an elder. And he came to us boys and sat us down. He said, fellas, they want me to serve as an elder. I have to admit, the biggest problem that I had in Einstein was the temper. And you guys are part of the problem. <laughs> exactly. And he wasn't wrong. He's one of my brothers, really. <laughs> if you, those of you who do know my dad, if you were me, spend ever how much time with him you want. Sweetest, kindest, nicest, best. You'd never know Amen. he had a temper. Ever. You know why? Because over time, he just kept trying. And he put patience in there. And so in the middle of your controlling yourself. You're learning patience. And that's what Peter said. You just keep going and learn the lesson that your self-control is teaching you. And that is to be patient. Alright? In your patience, I want you to put Godliness. Now, this seems a little bit out of order, doesn't it? Should we start with godliness? Well, I see the point. But here's what he's actually saying. All this time you've been working, and you've been trying hard and continuing and you're making the effort, and you're really doing it, now I want you to concentrate on the fact that every bit of this is because of God working in your life. We have to learn to be patient people before we can give God credit. People who are impatient aren't going to say, God, I still appreciate you. No. They're blaming God. They're running from God. They're not patient. He put God in us right here, I think, because He's saying, 
When you get to a point of patience, now you can concentrate on the fact that this is who God is. How many times has God been patient with you? How often has He been patient with me? And so in that patience, I can see God. In that patience, I can say, God, you got me now. You're working with me. You're helping me. In that godliness starts getting really small now. You put brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness says because of who God is to every other person here, then I am with them in the same situation. I know how hard has been the journey to get to the point where I think about God first more than I think about something else. I know how hard it was to get to the point of patience. I know how hard it was to be self-controlled. I know how difficult life has been. And now that I see God, I can see God in you and in you because God is working in you the same way He's working in me. And when I figure that out, I can appreciate you more. I can understand you. Because I've been working on patience, and you have too. And I've been trying to deepen my faith, and you have too. And it's only when a person has the mindset of God that they can love God's And in your brotherly kindness, you want to read that? You put love. Now, again, it seems out of order. You put love. Love is a commitment. When I talk to couples about to be married, I do premarital counseling. One of my questions is, what is love? And I say, and I challenge you to see if you catch this. Love is not a feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling you never felt before. Right? Love is not a feeling, but you feel. When you feel a feeling you never felt before, because that might be indigestion. <laughs> love is a commitment. Love is a decision. I have in my faith this faith that I started with in my faith, I have deepened it with all of these things. Now I'm committed. I'm committed to God. Inside of this little bitty thing, the final 
nesting doll piece is a mustard seed. What did Jesus say? If your faith is as strong as a mustard seed, you can do anything. I think now I know what he was talking about. I planted the seed in my faith. And that seed continues to sprout. And it deepens my love. It deepens my brotherly kindness to everyone. It deepens my godliness being more committed than ever. It really planted a seed to help me be more patient. Growing out of that, I'm in better control of myself than I've ever been. Oh, and I'm learning the stuff God wants me to learn through all of the things that I've been in. And it's affecting my life. And I'm following the moral principles of God. Because I have a faith that is full. I said we would end at the beginning. Notice how the text finishes. If these are yours and they abound, you won't be barren, that is unfruitful. You're not going to be idle. A word that is used for that in the knowledge of Christ. But if you don't have these things, you are <coughs> nearsighted, short sighted. All you can see is right here. Can't see out there. And you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sin. Here's how we end at the beginning. If you're looking, go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to teach you something real fast. You want to develop faith in somebody? Help them to develop faith. And you don't know how to teach them about Jesus. You don't know how to teach them about being saved from sin. And you need some help. You know, we've always used this. I've heard all my life. Here, believe, confess, be baptized. I've heard that all and right here. I got it. I want to give you something else. Deeper and more powerful. That you can use as your structure to teach somebody how to have faith. If you look at Ephesians 4, he talks about the seven ones. Watch this. Because every one of you has this. You can do it with me if you want. Everybody here should do it with me. Okay? If you want to help someone find faith, here's how it started. Jesus is okay. 
you tell you about Jesus. And then you go wherever you want to go and talk about Jesus and tell them who he is. And God, well, he's number one. God is number one. Jesus is God's son. God sent Jesus. He is number one. And I need to know that. And with Jesus and God, I can find victory. Because if I die to my sin and I'm buried in water, I can rise a brand new life and that's victory. And you teach them what it means to die and be buried and raised again. And now, I'm married to Jesus. And that marine on. I'm committed. I'm a part of his family. You need to be a part of his family. You know why? Because you're weak. You can't survive on your own. You can't find your own salvation. Like the pinky finger, it's just too weak. So I want to receive every gift that God wants to give me, and I'm willing to take it. And when I do, I'm going to go to heaven forever. That's Ephesians 4. One Lord, one God, one baptism, one faith, one church to help a weak person, one spirit that God gives in baptism, and the one hope of heaven. Isn't that powerful? Can't you see that? You don't look at your hands differently. You don't know where to go? Just look at your hand and say, I want to teach you about Jesus. And when you do, you help them develop a faith. Understanding as Peter told his readers, God has given everything that you need. So in that faith, now what do you do? In that faith, you add this, and in that, you put this, and in that, you put this. And this passage comes alive. <coughs> I hope it's been helpful. Amen. I hope it is something that you can remember when you have those kinds of illustrations. <coughs> it's easy put a concept in your head. I don't know where you are in your life. I know where you're mine. I don't know what help you need. I don't know what help you're looking for. I don't know how deep your faith is. I don't know how strong your commitment is. But I hope that this text speaks to you. 
and gives you a challenge, gives me a challenge to say, I'm going to, in my growth process, I'm going to put these things in there continually and work on them together. I'm glad that you have a couple of men who shepherd this church. What that means is they care about your soul. You already know them. And if they can help you, I guarantee you they want to. Because they shepherd your souls. I hope this has been a lesson that will help you say, I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to get more committed. And I know where to go now. We have a final song that we're going to sing. If you want these men, everybody else, to help you with something tonight. This would be a good time to do it while we sing the last song. While Oh